announcements to share with you this morning as we begin our service. First of all, uh, youth group is tonight from 5 to 6.30, and prayer meeting is tonight at 5.30 p.m. Also, this is, this is an important one here for you. Next Sunday is the deadline if you would like to purchase a tulip for Easter. Next Sunday is the deadline to purchase a tulip for Easter. If you are interested, please fill out a form that's on the foyer table and give the form to Deb Markle with a check payable to WOLC earmarked tulip. All of the instructions are right here in your bulletin, but next week is the deadline. So next week. <laughs> Would you pray with me this morning as we begin our service? God, we are so grateful that we are able to gather together this morning. Father, that we are able to be together as a family. That's what we are. We're a family, Lord, and we thank you for that. Lord, we pray that you would move today in this service. Father, may you give Pastor Bob the words that, that you have given him to speak. Father, may you work through, through the hymns and the praise team and the choir to just take us to your presence, Father, in worship. Father, may this morning just be all about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. immortal invisible God let's take a few moments to stand up step out turn around welcome those around you to our service this morning
To Calvary, 
certain situation that just turned out the way you were praying it would turn out. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your family. And, and I'd like for you to think of that thing and thank the Lord for it. Right at this moment, right in your hand. Thank the Lord for it. What I'd like to do is I'd like for us to sing, oh, praise the name one more time. Think about how thankful we are for all the things that we are blessed with. Sometimes it's easy to sing the words of a song and not think through what we're really singing. Let's thank God together and let's praise His name. Oh, praise the name of the
second of every day. Father, help us to realize that, to remember that, to call on you, to pray without ceasing. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I uh, ask you to refer to your prayer ministry sheet, if you would, please. Uh, of course, we have a few folks that uh, have had recent um, injuries. Uh, Sue Miller um, had um, uh, torn ligaments and a broken fibula in her knee, and we want to pray for her as uh, she is anticipating surgery at a later date. Uh, so keep her in your prayers as well as uh, Pete Rank III. Um, he had some uh, surgery a little while ago and is going to be immobilized now for still a few weeks. And then, of course, Nancy Wilbert, uh, keep her, of course, continually in your prayers as she is um, recovering at home. So, Father, as we bow before you once again, we thank you that you are our God. That, Father, we can come to you at any time, not only bringing our praises and our petitions, Lord, but even confessing our sins as we have been reminded in this in this recent song. Father, you're a God who does forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. We simply need to come and ask. Father, you said that if we ask, you will forgive us 
of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, we do need you to do just that. Father, you're a God who alone can forgive sins. And it's, of course, through the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us. It's through his blood, Lord, that we have such a great salvation. A salvation, Lord, that has been given to us by grace and through faith. And so, Father, when we come to you, we recognize that, Father, you're a holy God. And that, Father, we, don't, we do not come in our own merit, in our own worth. Father, we come through Jesus, the mediator between God and man. We do thank you this morning, Lord, and praise you for the mighty blessings that you have showered down upon us. Uh, Lord, as we think through the things we're thankful for, Lord, we think of the song, count your many blessings and name them one by one. Think of all the things that God has done. Father, numerous, too numerous to count. And so we're grateful this morning for salvation and for all those blessings, Lord, which you have showered down upon us. We thank you, too, that we have the privilege of interceding on behalf of one another. Father, we have been praying for Nancy for quite some time now, and we are thankful for the progress. And pray that it would not stop, but that it would continue. That each day, each week, Lord, uh, she would be moving toward good health. Father, we pray for Peter Rank as well, and pray, Lord, that he would heal quickly. And we Lord, know, Lord, that he's an active young man, and uh, Father, it's hard to hold him back, but help him to be disciplined and not to do too much until everything is healed and he gets back to full health. And for Sue, Lord, we, we pray for this upcoming surgery. Thankful, Lord, that she's able to join us and sing in the choir, but Father, she has uh, some days ahead of surgery and therapy, and so we commit her to you and pray that everything goes extremely well. Again, Lord, we thank you for our time here this morning. Lord, this is your day. We will rejoice in it and we'll be glad. Father, we thank you for this time of year. It reminds us of growth. Things are starting to bud. and Father, it's just getting a little bit warmer now. And Father, spring is, is ahead, not that far away. Father, help us as a church to grow. Help us as individuals to grow, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through your word. Father, as we preach, as we teach, as we read, as we meditate, as we memorize, as we hear your word, help us, Lord, to be doers of it. Father, we need to grow. We need to mature. Father, give us a tremendous desire to be conformed to the image of your son for father that's our goal that's our aim to be like jesus to be holy as you are holy help us to strive toward that end and not be content with where we are today but father help us to move forward help us to strive to be godly Christians who you are pleased with. So we thank you again, Lord, for this time you've given us and pray that you might bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your hymn books, if you would, please, and turn with me to hymn number 51. I sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. Leonard was here in Sunday school this morning and uh, he came up to me afterwards and said, could I ask you a favor? He said, I'm just feeling a little bit lightheaded. He said, yesterday he uh, was working, and um, he said, I didn't know when to stop. I just overdid it. And so he just uh, said, could you lead the two hymns this morning? I said, uh, Leonard, I'd be glad to do this. So, so pray for Leonard. Um, yeah, you know, he, he is a man who isn't quite sure when to stop. You know, he goes and goes and goes and goes, and um, he needs to understand that he's not getting any younger, but uh, we miss Leonard this morning, but uh, we're going to sing these, these songs together. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing, I will sing.
I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing, I will sing, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness, thy faithfulness. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness, all generations. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing the mercies of the Lord. And back just a couple of pages to hymn number 48. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. Let's stand and we'll sing all five stanzas of this, of this hymn. seated. Patience. Patience. Just the word alone reminds us how much more we need it. Are we there yet? The little boy in the back seat said, and dad turns around and says, don't you say that one more time. A few minutes goes by and this wise young child says, dad, how much further? <laughs> dad turns around and says, about 90 more miles. A few minutes goes by and this little four-year-old says, dad, will I still be four when we get there? <laughs> We live in a world that's not very patient. We live in a world that doesn't see patience as a virtue. Thomas Jefferson, he tried to help Americans with patience. He wrote the rules for living. He said, when you're angry, count to 10. And when you're very angry, count to 100. 75 years later, Mark Twain revised it and said, when you're angry, count to four. And when you're very angry, swear. <laughs> James, at the end of his book, deals with patience. He deals with patience. When we started this series, we saw in the very first chapter, James speaking of patience, 
or perseverance. And we're going to look at the difference in a moment. But he said the trying of your faith will produce perseverance. The trying of your faith will produce perseverance. And now at the end of his book, he takes up this subject once again. He comes back to the idea of patience and perseverance. In verse 7, James says this of chapter 5. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. Do you remember last week we looked at the rich who were oppressing the poor? In verses 1 through 6 of chapter 5. And how these filthy, wicked rich were dragging the poor into courts, taking advantage of them. We have in verse 7 the word then. This word refers back to those first six verses. Having been oppressed, being exploited by the filthy rich, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. This topic is so relevant today because, you know, we, we all get hurt by others. We all find ourselves in situations like these poor. Maybe we're not being oppressed and hurt by the rich, but we often get hurt and are wronged by other people. And we're in this position as the poor that there's not much we can do about it. That we can't control the situation. We can't control how others treat us. We can't control how they think about us. What they say about us. And have you ever noticed that some of the biggest hurts come from those who are closest to us? A spouse who breaks the marriage covenant. A child who rebels in spite of the fact that you have done all you can to raise him or her under the nurture and admonition of the Lord. A church member who either intentionally or unintentionally says something that just hurts. A boss who maybe overlooked you for a promotion when you thought you deserved it and gave it to your best friend. We can't control others. We can't control how they treat us, how they act toward us. What we can control is our response to them. And James says, be patient. Be patient. One of the hardest things in this world is to be patient. As I said, there are two words that we're going to look at this morning that are translated patient in the Bible. There's the word hupomone. Hupomone. Now I'm going to just slide this aside for a moment so I don't have to kind of stretch around to look at that. But um, hupomone, the definition of this word is actually steadfastness or endurance or perseverance. This is the word that's used back in uh, James chapter 1 and verse 3. When James says the testing of your faith produces perseverance, it's this word. It's the same word that is used of Job, and we're going to look at Job in a few moments. Job is not a patient man. He wasn't. But he was a man of perseverance. You know, we often speak of Job's patience. He really wasn't that patient, but he was a man who endured. He was a man who was steadfast. He hung in there to the very end, not giving up his faith. So there's a, this word hupomone, which is translated perseverance. The other word is macrothumia. And that word is the word we think of when we think of patience. To be long-tempered. To be slow in avenging wrongs. You have a long fuse. Someone who is patient, does not snap quickly, is self-restrained, 
does not, is not quick to retaliate. That's the word here in verse 7. Be patient. Don't be quick to retaliate. Don't snap. Don't lash out. Now what James is doing here, he's encouraging these wavering Christians. These poor Christians. Who is he writing to? Well, we read in the very first verse of this book, 12 tribes that are scattered throughout the nations. They have been driven from their homes, driven from their city, driven from their country. Be patient. Be patient. You see, we often think of life being this short, and we don't look at the big picture, the entire game. And when the times get tough in the third quarter, we're not to quit. You see, James says, be patient. Have this marathon mentality. You're in a long journey. That's what life is. It's a long journey. Be patient. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. How long should we be patient? He says, until Jesus comes back. It might be a long time. For some, it might be a short time. But we're to be patient until then. At that time, we will be patient. We will be glorified. We will have all the, 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 the love and the joy, the peace and patience being in that glorified state, that glorified body. But until then, be patient. Tomorrow's hope should enable me to endure today's hurt. Tomorrow's hope enables me to endure today's hurt. Titus speaks to the coming of Jesus, and he calls it a blessed hope. A blessed hope in the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Be patient until Jesus comes back. The Bible speaks of the imminency of Christ's coming, which means very soon. One of our hymn writers says, it may be morn, it may be noon, it may be evening, it may be soon. The theme in Scripture is that Jesus is coming soon. We read words such as, at hand, he comes as a thief in the night. We live in the last hour. The time is near. We're in the last days. Jesus himself said at the very end of the last book of Revelation, I am coming soon. The biblical writers, they all wrote of the imminent return of Christ, that we may not leave here this morning, but Jesus may return. But wait a minute. These writers wrote over 2,000 years ago. Were they all wrong? To state time and time again that Jesus is coming soon? It's been over 2,000 years. Where is Jesus? Did he forget about the promise? At the end of Revelation, I'm coming soon? You know, I think there's a, an answer to that question. And it's found in 2 Peter chapter 3. You know, they asked the same question during Peter's day, after the resurrection. Decades have gone by and they're asking the question. Look at chapter 3 and verse 4. It says, some will say, where is the coming he promised? Where is the coming of Jesus that he promised? And then the answer is found in verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. Wait, there's something you're forgetting. Where is Jesus' coming? Did he forget his promise? Did he not mean what he said? Oh, wait, wait. Don't forget this one thing, because with the Lord, 
a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like one day. The Lord isn't slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. But instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but that everyone might come to repentance. Why the delay? Well, it's a delay in our minds. For us, it's been over 2,000 years, and the mind of God has been two days. His timetable is so much different than ours. But the reason for the delay is because God is not willing that any should perish. He's waiting. He's waiting for the church to get on the ball and get out there spreading the gospel and bringing people into his kingdom. He's waiting for us to do what we need to do because he's not willing that any should perish. Why the delay? Because God wants to see people coming to his son. God is waiting for people to come to Jesus himself. Because when Jesus returns, the time is too late. Now, I understand during the tribulation, there will be people that will be saved. However, it's going to be difficult, very, very difficult. And so the language that is used throughout Scripture is that of imminency. If you notice verse 8 of this same text in the book of James, in verse 8 it says, You too be patient and stand firm. Why? Because the Lord's coming is near. So he speaks of the coming of Jesus in verse 7. Now he speaks of the coming in verse 8, that it's near, but he doesn't stop there. Again in verse 9 he says, Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door the judge is standing at the door again the idea of imminency that Jesus is ready to come back so the point being made in these verses is be patient don't retaliate stay controlled don't snap don't grumble don't criticize don't lash out, don't get even, don't quarrel, but be long-suffering. Because Jesus, the judge, is coming back. And when he comes, he will right all wrongs. That's his job, not yours. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So be patient. Be patient, because Jesus is standing at the door. When he comes, he will judge. Make no mistake about it. There is coming a judgment day. A day when every wrong will be made right. God never promised that here on earth to balance the scales of justice. God didn't make that promise. But he said, someday I will. One day, this lost world, filled with immorality, will drink the cup of God's wrath. It's not for us to get vengeance. It's not for us to retaliate. We're called upon to be patient, brothers and sisters, until Jesus comes back. Then James gives three examples of patience. You know, James is good at this, isn't he? James is so good, he, 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 he states the point, be patient until Jesus comes back, and then he uses illustrations or examples or other things to support what he's asking us to do. And so now he's going to give three examples of patience. Look at the end of verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. I'm not a farmer, but I know some of you are farmers. Many of you have gardens. Farmers know that they can't hurry up the seasons. 
Farmers know they have no control of the rain. Israel lived in an agricultural society. And these farmers were completely dependent upon rain that they could not control. They knew that only God was able to control the rain. And I think the point in bringing farmers into this text is that we face at times hostility. We at times, we are wronged by someone else and we can't control the situation. We have no control over that. But we must wait for vindication. We must learn to live in anticipation of the Lord's return. Not getting all bent out of shape, not getting all upset over the circumstances that become so difficult, but be patient. As the farmer waits, he waits for the crop, as he waits for the seasons to change, as he waits for the rain, being unable to control any of that, where to wait. You know, our society certainly does not encourage patience. We live in a world that everything's here and now. Buy now and pay later. But patience is a great virtue that we all need very badly. It is true, so many things are out of our control. We just can't control a lot in this world. Stock market crashes and housing dropping, friendships that fizzle, cars that go kaput, politics and policies, insurance rates that rise. Life can throw so much at us, but we must wait. Wait the arrival of a new baby. Wait the start of a new job. Wait to finish school. Wait until our health improves. Wait for the visit of a loved one. Have you ever noticed God's ways are seldom quick? <laughs> seldom does God move quickly. But his ways are always the right ways. It takes a long time for fruit to grow and mature. Fruit isn't produced overnight. The farmer can put that little seed into the ground, but then he must wait. The Bible speaks of us producing the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, and patience. It's something that God is producing in us doesn't happen overnight, doesn't happen in a week. I don't think it happens actually in a lifetime. We all need patience. It's something that God is doing in us. So James gives us this illustration of the farmer who has to wait for things that are completely out of his control. We need to wait. But he goes on to speak of the prophets in verse 10. He says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience, in the face of suffering, take the prophets. Here's the second example. Farmers, now prophets, they spoke in the name of the Lord. Sometimes as Christians, you know, we're, we're tempted to think that since we are in the family of God, since we are God's children, and that he is the one who loves us and is taking care of us, somehow we think at times that we ought to be immune from suffering. That hardships and difficulties and tough times and trials and tribulations, they ought not come into our lives. Actually, the complete opposite is true. We ought to expect and anticipate hard times take the prophets for example here were men chosen by God to serve and be his ministers and yet they went through some tough tough times back in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 let me just read what it says regarding these prophets 
In Hebrews chapter 11, that wonderful faith chapter. Chapter 11, beginning down at verse 35. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better uh, resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. No, the prophets suffered greatly. The life of a prophet was not easy. Daniel thrown into the lion's den. Isaiah, the Bible says, he walked around naked and barefoot for three years. Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, he ministered for 40 years and had no converts. What is the lesson from the prophets? The lesson is this. God doesn't always take away the physical and the emotional hurt in this lifetime. God doesn't take it away. That's why James here reminds his audience three times that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to make all the wrongs right. We need to understand God doesn't take away the hurt. He doesn't take away all the suffering. He doesn't take away the persecution. He doesn't take away the trials and tribulations. God doesn't preserve us from suffering. But he preserves us in the suffering. Giving us hope. You see, tomorrow's hope enables us to endure Today's hurt. Wait patiently until Jesus comes back. And then the last example back in James is the example of Job in verse 11. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The word perseverance is the correct word here. Job was not patient. There were times when Job said, I would rather be dead than to go through what I have to go through. James is the only New Testament writer that mentions Job by name. We know the story of Job. In the Old Testament, in the book by his name, God said that Job was a righteous man, that he was blameless, he was upright. He was perfect in every way. He was the most godly man living on the earth at that time. And Satan one day comes to God and accuses Job of being godly only because God has blessed him. And Satan said to God, listen, if you just take everything he has away, take away his family, take away his wealth, take away his good fortune, And Job will curse you to your face. And God gives Satan permission. And Satan goes to Job and takes away everything. His children are all crushed by the roof over their heads. His cattle were stolen. He then becomes a picture of boiling sores. He loses it all. And yet, he perseveres to the very end without any explanation from God as to why he is going through all of this. The most godly man on the planet at that time. And he suffers more than anyone on the planet at that time. Losing it all. And yet, he perseveres. He never does curse God to his face. His faith remains intact. Here was a man of perseverance who never understood 
why God allowed this to happen. We know because we have the book of Job. We can read the opening chapters. God pulls back the curtain and we can see the conversation between God and Satan. Job didn't know that. Job just knows that he is suffering terribly and badly. But he hung on. He hung on to God. What is the lesson from Job? When others hurt us, when we're wronged by someone else, we don't always know why God allows these things to happen. Sometimes we may never understand why God permitted this to happen to me. But what God did at the end of the book of Job was he revealed himself to Job. He said, Job, I am in control. I am a sovereign, omnipotent God, and I control all things that come to pass. And Job accepted that. He was willing to accept what God brought into his life. And there's something else Job knew. At the end of verse 11, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Job believed that God had his best interests at heart. And that's what helped him to get through his difficult time. And so he submitted and accepted the very will of God. There's something else Job said right in the smack dab in the, in the middle of his book. In chapter 19, he said this. He replied to the Lord, he said, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job knew God had a purpose. He didn't know what it was, but he knew that Job had a purpose in all of this. He knew God was in control. He didn't understand it all, but he knew that God was in control. And God was doing something. We don't always know, do we? The purpose of God in the trials and tribulation of life. God doesn't always reveal to us. He may. Sometimes we get through it and we look back and say, oh, I get it now. But there are sometimes we go through years and years and years and we just don't know why. But what we do know is that God is full of compassion and mercy. That God loves you more than you will ever know. And God does have your best interests at heart, no matter what you're going through. And there's something else that Job knew. Right? I, I said the, the, the verse I read early was in the middle. That was actually at the very end of the book. The verse that's in chapter 19 in the middle of the book says this. These are Job's words. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives, and my, I myself, I will see him with my own eyes. I don't think he knew everything that we know about the coming of Jesus, as we have it in the New Testament. But somehow Job, it was revealed to Job that, that he would live on. He knew that someday he would look into the face of God and God then might explain all of this to him. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives and I someday, I with my own eyes, I will see him. He expressed confidence that ultimately God will vindicate him. Remember all the accusations, the false accusations against him? By his three so-called friends? They accused him of everything under the sun. None of which was true, maybe well, maybe a little bit was true. But he knew that someday God would righten all wrongs. God made us a promise. The Lord gave us his word. And Jesus said, I am coming back. I really am coming back. And God put it in writing. <laughs> it's, it's right here. It's a promise that has been made to us. 
We know that our Redeemer lives, and we know that someday when Jesus comes back and we look into his very face, that we will become like him. A man was asked one time, what is the first thing you'll say when you see Jesus? What would you say? What would you say to Jesus? You know, on that day when you look into his eyes and you're glorified and you have this perfect patience, what would you say to him? This man said this. He said, Jesus, I knew you meant it. I knew you'd keep your promise. I knew you'd come back for me. I knew you meant it. You know, beyond this world, we have a judge. Beyond this world, there's a judge, a redeemer who lives, a judge who is standing at the door, ready to avenge every wrong that has taken place in your life. God's job is to avenge that wrong, not yours. Our job is to remain calm, to be patient, remembering that Jesus will keep his promise. He will come back for us. And that's the surest thing you can count on in this world. Father, we thank you this morning for the promise of your quick and short and soon return. We thank you, Lord, that it is a promise. And Father, you have always kept your promises to your people. Father, we all go through a lot of things in life. A lot in this congregation, Lord, are going through some difficult and tough times right now. May the hope of your return Tomorrow's hope enable each one of us to endure today's hurt. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take your hymn books, turn with me to hymn number 183. Now, we're going to sing this to a different tune. We're going to sing this hymn to the tune of Angels from the Realms of Glory. It's going to sound like Christmas. The words are just going to be a little different. All right? Hymn number 183, sung to the tune of Angels to the Realms of Glory. Let's stand, and we'll sing four stanzas as we close. Christ is coming, let creation from her groans travail see let glorious proclamation hope restore and faith increase christ is coming christ is coming come thou blessed prince of peace earth can now but tell the story and pain she shall yet be all the glory when thou comest back to reign Christ is coming Christ is coming let each heart repeat the strain long thine exiles have been pining far from rest home and shining they their loving lord shall see christ is coming christ is coming haste the joyous with that blessed Lord, that's our prayer as well.
Lord, come quickly. We know you're coming, and we pray that it might be soon. But in the meantime, Lord, help us to be patient. Help us to be calm. Help us, Lord, to be more like your son. In Jesus' name, amen.